Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly horrifying knowledge screen case starring some of the ghoulish geniuses that bring the YouTube series SciShow to life. This week, as always, I'm joined by the abominable Dr. Stefan Chin. Stefan, what's your tagline? Tootsie Rolls by the pound. Sam Schultz is also with us today. Sam. Hello. What's your tagline? The taste you can see. <laughs> Ooh, Creepy. And Sari Riley has also joined us today. Sari, what's your tagline? Big ol' noggin. Mm. Nice. And my tagline is beef. Can you believe? <laughs> <laughs> Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to freak out, frighten, and terrify each other with science facts. We're playing for glory, but we're also keeping score and awarding Sam bucks from week to week. We do everything we can to stay on topic, but we're not always great at that. So if the rest of the team deems a tangent unworthy... You have to give up one of your sandbucks. So tangent with care. And for this most horrifying month of them all, we'll be doing things a little differently each week in October. And this is the last one. We'll be talking about science related to, inspired by, or just sort of vaguely reminiscent of classic horror monsters. And now, as always, we will summon this week's monster with the traditional science incantation. This week, and finally, from Sam. While listening to Tangents on this month of fear, you may find yourself wondering, what's going on here? I thought this show was about science and facts, not creepies and ghosties and blood-sucking man-bats. 
But I hope you see <laughs> it's not such a departure that these ghoulish topics reveal something larger, that monsters and science, they go hand in hand because monsters are things that we don't understand. From the earliest man seeing shapes in the night to swamp gas-inspired stories of goblins and sprites, to mold-covered bread that brought visions of demons, the natural world with horrors was teeming. But then science and medicine gave us solutions and cleared up some of our more eerie delusions. Then as man began treading in God's own domain, new stories conflated learning with something arcane. Men of science pervert nature with unholy aims, digging up bodies and tinkering with brains. But society progresses and helps us to learn. Medical breakthroughs aren't something to fear and to spurn. But atomic power, now that's a different story. Our minds invented new tales of horror most gory, killed by radioactive avatars of death, or vaporized by creatures with fiery breath. And while splitting the atom does have a dark past, it also improved our lives in ways small and vast. But on the horizon, the space race was looming, so alien commies from beyond came zooming. <laughs> To TVs and theaters, tales of the blob, and invaders that look just like your neighbor, Bob. But we went to space and came back pretty unscathed and developed technology worthy of praise. Then public health crises and bad mental health systems inspired sex-hating psychos and their teenage victims. But thanks to scientific inquisition, we developed more empathy for the human condition. Now there's AI, fascists, and face-scanning drones, creeps on the internet, and cameras in our homes to give us fresh fodder for stories of fright and keep us awake through the long, shadowy night. And while fear seems to have a dastardly grip on everyone's lives, may you now be equipped with knowledge that we hope these episodes imbue. Science create monsters, but it helps kill them, too. <laughs> That was my that really was the long whole poem. history. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the whole episode right there. That's it. See ya, folks. Yeah, Sam was like, I think a poem, but also just a short history of everything. Just the human story. <laughs> and so our topic for the day is the the monster mash. Yes, it's all monsters, great and small, that didn't fit into one of our previous categories. Great, Sari. What's a monster, and what is a mash? <laughs> I don't know. Anything strange, I think we categorized into monster. Mm -hmm. and they've been created as parts of myth, but also as mm. like adjectives to describe the weird or the arcane in the everyday life, like a two-headed calf that's born. It's like, ah, it's mm -hmm. not regular. It's a monster. I guess there's something animalistic to me about the word monster that like... I don't know, like a ghost doesn't quite. You got to be able to slap it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or even like a witch where it's like a human based. Is a vampire a monster? I don't know. Well, I'd say I, one, one, hmm. one kind of like way to describe a monster is something that exists singularly. It's like one of a kind. So mm, like Frankenstein's mm. monster is a monster because he's the only Frankenstein's monster. But like a vampire there's a bunch of vampires or a witch. Huh. There's like a coven of witches. So yeah, I think mm -hmm. I think in a way, technically speaking, you could be right about that. I like the idea that a monster is singular. That's one. It is the only of its kind. But I don't. I think that that could <laughs> very so well sad. be a definition, but yeah. certainly doesn't need to be. Also, apparently, like, people can be monsters too. People are the only real monster. In fact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Sari, is there an origin to this word monster? It seems like there would be. Yes. So monster probably derives from Latin words, um, monstrare, which means to demonstrate, mm. and monere, or monere, which means to warn. What? So they're oh. like portentous. I think they reveal like our fears and our, our fears made real. That's sort of the origin of it. Then a mash is just what happens when you squish a potato. Potatoes. So, yeah. <laughs> that was a dance craze of the 1960s also. Was it actually? Yeah, the mashed potato became the monster mash. Oh. And now it is time for... I have brought in three facts with which to torment my co-podcasters. Only one of those facts is real. The other panelists have to figure it out either by deduction or wild guess, which is the true fact. If you do, you get a sandbuck. If you're tricked... Then I get the Sam Buck. You can play along at twitter.com slash scishowtangents where we will have already posted a tweet where you can vote on the fact that you think is the most likely. And I would like to tell the three of you three facts in which monsters were created for science and not in the mm -hmm. Frankenstein's monster way, but in the real world way. Because scientists can take inspiration yeah. from movies when they're conducting their experiments. So which of the following experiments using a famous monster to study animal behavior is real? Fact number one, scientists filmed a short movie featuring King Kong who burst into a room and then attacked a human actor. And that movie was shown to apes. And then a day later, it was shown to the apes again to test whether or not the apes could remember what happened in the movie. What? Fact number two, scientists wanted to test whether parrots were more likely to eat faster if they were faced with a novel threat. So they placed food on a rotating table and then they used hand puppets to rotate the table around toward themselves to steal the food if the birds didn't eat it fast enough and that they used hand puppets to do this and the hand puppets they bought were, yes, licensed aliens puppets from the movie Aliens, oh. just to make it really creepy. <laughs> or fact number three, scientists created a maze for rats to solve, but once the rats learned how to solve the maze, they introduced a robotic toy Godzilla that would move around the, the maze and push walls around. Mm -hmm. And then they would study how the rat's brains handled a physical space that they had already learned about, but they that was actively changing while they were moving through it. So number one, we've got scientists using a, a King Kong suit to make a movie to study apes' memory. Fact number two, scientists using an alien puppet to study how, how parrots would eat when faced with a threat, or three scientists using a Godzilla robot to destroy rats' reactions to chaos and uh, and a space that they understood changing as they moved through it. <sighs> the Godzilla doesn't seem necessary to the last. Yeah, <laughs> they all seem unnecessary. That's my problem. It's like they all seem so fake. Well, yeah. <laughs> the King Kong movie makes some sense to me because it's like apes watching an ape. I don't know. Yeah. If you had access to gorillas, it seems like eventually you'd wonder if they would like a gorilla suit. And yeah. And you'd, you'd try it out. Or they'd like, you know, just play them the, the what's the, what was that series of movies, Planet of the Apes, and see if they like don't it. Don't play them that one. <laughs> don't learn too much. Don't, don't teach them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Would it even look like a monkey to them or an ape to them? Because, like, if someone was in a bad 
human suit. That wouldn't be. No, that wouldn't be good. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I guess that's not the point of the research. Just if they remember it. Do animals experience the uncanny valley? <laughs> <laughs> They'd be seeing it all the time, walking down the street, seeing like cartoon dogs and stuff. They'd be like, ugh. But yeah, I also don't know for this last one about the the rats in the maze. I don't know. This study confuses me. This sounds fake because I'm confused. So they're able to like study mice, like what's happening in a mouse brain or a rat brain in this case, while they're moving around a maze and learning it. And they're able to, to study what it looks like to them as they're moving through it after they've learned it. And they're able to study what their brains look like when they're thinking they're going to move through a maze, but actually encountering chaos. Mm-hmm. Is the idea. And it gets a Godzilla robot. <laughs> There's too yeah. many variables. They, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he would muddy the scientific process, I think, were he to be there. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the scientists didn't want to have like a human doing it. The rats know about people, but not about Godzilla robots. Mm. And then the alien hand puppets. That feels fine. I do also feel like I've heard a story of like a of like a bird that fell in love with a puppet or something like that, or it was oh. like it's a little baby. Oh, weird. Maybe that's what it is, <laughs> but I think I think I like the sound of that one. Yeah, I feel like birds could fall in love with anything. <laughs> wow. Jeez. <laughs> oh, um, uh. I guess I'll go with the the King Kong suit. I hate all of them, so. <laughs> I th- I'm down with the King Kong one. I don't have any information here. That one just appeals to me. Don't you think most. that now that you're locked in, that that's just the, a retelling of the story with the tape of the ape that comes in the back and like beats his chest? And then... <laughs> I was thinking of that Maybe. too. Yeah. Like the psych <laughs> okay. experiment about ignoring the monkey. <laughs> yeah. All right. The votes are in. And now it is time for you to cast your vote at twitter.com slash size show tangents. Let us know what you think. Sam, you should have said that thing about the famous ape science experiment earlier because that would have helped me because that was the true fact. (laughs) That's the true one? (laughs) That's the true one. What the hell? I'm bad at this game now. (laughs) Yeah, I feel bad at it too. I only got one point. (laughs) So like basically a, a guy in a gorilla suit or a King Kong suit like busts in through one of the doors and then and then like attacks a person. And there were two doors. That was important. There are two doors. And then when they showed it to them again, all the apes looked at the door before the guy busted through. They looked at the door that he was going to bust through. They did it a second time where they had a shot of two like weapons, like fake weapons that the human then used one of them to attack the King Kong. And then when they showed the movie to them a second time, they swapped the location of the weapons and the apes still looked at the weapon that was used not the location of the weapon that was used. Cool. When they were remembering it. Can you watch this movie anywhere? I be- I don't know. I didn't I didn't see it, but my guess is that it would not be deeply entertaining. It sounds like it's pretty pretty simple uh, filmmaking. It sounds pretty good to me. I think it would be more interesting to see a movie of the monkeys or the apes watching the monkeys. Yeah. yeah. The one that nobody went for, which was about Godzilla running, running through the maze, I just made that up. That was not real at all, and it was based on nothing, and you Ooh. got me. The other one was based on an experiment that was done with puppets and kids, human kids. Oh. So there was a table that would rotate, and they'd put the candy down in front of either the kid or a puppet, and then a second puppet would rotate the candy around and steal oh, it. No. <laughs> if the candy was placed in front of the kid, the kid would keep the candy and it was stolen from the kid. If the candy was placed in front of the puppet and stolen, like the puppet stole it from the other puppet, the kid, 
upon being given the candy, would then give it to the puppet. What? Oh. So there's like a mean puppet and a nice puppet? <laughs> yeah, and it would give it to the nice puppet. Oh, it's, that's sweet. It's nice, right? <laughs> We're not so bad. I hate this experiment, <laughs> Just though. being mean. I like it better than with birds. I feel bad for the birds. I don't feel as bad for the kids. <laughs> I'm sure they got some candy in the end. And uh, and the birds you shouldn't feel bad for because it didn't happen. Oh, that's true. <laughs> also true. <laughs> there is a video of these of this ape movie. It's great. Ooh, it's, it shows where their eyes moved. The movie was less entertaining than I had imagined. <laughs> I, I liked it. I think it's good. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break now, and we'll be back with the Fact Off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Miriam Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster... (laughs) Use some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora... Ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts? I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, ooh, I'm having an experience. So Miriam Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. 
Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 plus Manuka honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's manukora.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome back, everybody. Sandbuck totals. Everyone is tied with one. Now, Sari and Stefan have a chance to become the winner because it's time for the fact off. They have each brought science facts to the others in an attempt to scare our pants off. The presentees each have a sandbuck to award to the fact that we are terrified by the most, I guess. (laughs) Trivia question to decide who goes first. According to Smithsonian Magazine, the origins of the modern haunted house can be traced to London and most notably to an exhibition by the artist Marie Tussaud of decapitated wax figures. What year did Tussaud first display her macabre showcase in London? So I feel like sealing wax. This is useless. Never mind. Um, Because like when they stamped their letters, I was into that for a little bit. That was like, I think the 16th or 17th century where they where they stamped letters. So you think we had wax fever back then? We were just making everything out of wax or what? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe like (laughs) (laughs) that's why I was just trying to explain my logic. Okay, (laughs) I'm going to just go. With 1831. Stefan. I feel like it's later, but then we had the Civil War. There was no time for wax. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say 1890. The winner is Sari Riley. It was 1802. Yeah, they got tired of sealing letters, and then they just were like, what do we do with all this wax? And Marie Tussaud was like, I have an idea for you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently the the some of the figures that she made were Louis the Fourteenth. Is that mm. the one Louis the Fourteenth that got his head chopped off? Yeah. Marie Antoinette. She went to France during the French Revolution and made death masks of their faces and then went back as fast as she could to display them all over Europe for people. Oh, so cool. that's pretty grotesque. Mm-hmm. She's like uh. A sensationalist journalist at the time. Yeah, basically. But just with people's dead faces. (laughs) Um, I'll go first. Arguably, as we've been talking about, some of the most monstrous things are those that harm other living creatures without a care in the world or seek power and success no matter what the cost. So by that logic... One of the most overlooked living monsters, in my opinion, is the bird catcher tree. That's a common name that refers to several different species like Pisonia grandis, which have evolved sticky hook-like seeds. That makes sense evolutionarily as birds or insects sit and munch. Maybe a seed gets stuck to their bodies and then it gets carried away and planted in a new location wherever it falls off. It's like, sow your wild oats, strategy, lots of trees do it, plants do it. But the problem is evolution took the stickiness of these seeds and dialed it way up to the point where birds get caught in clusters of seeds and die in the trees, like Uh, morbid decorations, and they just like rot up there, or pile up as corpses on the ground. Oh! Um, If this was a truth or fail, I would not go for this. (laughs) (laughs) 
And so some people have hypothesized that the bird corpses decomposing provides fertilizer to the tree, but scientific studies around 1999 and 2000 have found that bird guano provides more nitrogen than bird corpses, so that's not a good Mm. reason. That's ruled out. And then someone else hypothesized that the dead bodies with seeds could maybe like float like a morbid kind of raft across the ocean to spread the seeds farther. But then people tested that too and just like dunked the seeds in salt water and found that they have lower germination rates after five days and none after 12 days. So the trees need a live seabird to spread their seeds. So basically, Mm, this tree just murders birds without any added benefit (laughs) that we can find. And to anchor the consequences even more, trees like this were used as bird lime, which is a now often illegal category of gluey substances that humans spread on branches and use to trap and hunt birds. So they would like get birds Mm. to land on branches and then just stick them. And as far as I can tell... They are banned because it causes such immense suffering to the birds. So this is a monstrous tree, (laughs) if there ever was one. I guess evolution created a bird death tree. (laughs) What do you do when, when when a tree just starts killing birds for no reason? As a human, trees are extremely easy to defeat. So, I mean, you could chop <laughs> the true. tree down, I suppose. I, uh, I could totally defeat a tree. <laughs> yeah. I'd probably be pretty sore afterward. <laughs> yeah, It might take me a week, but I could do it. The birds would thank you, Hank. There are some people that are trying to, like, clean off these birds. So when they see a stuck bird that's alive still, Aww. they, like, get the sticky stuff off. So you could probably, I don't know. I feel like my hair would get stuck in the tree. So the tree would mm-hmm. have a one-up over me because I'd be <laughs> yeah. in pain. But um, I don't know. There are people helping the birds from these mean trees. I can't believe that Like I still, well, there are still facts that are that good that I've not heard. All right. Uh, Stefan, how could you possibly outdo it? <laughs> you think that was horrifying. Just wait <laughs> until you hear about Dracula ants. Okay. All right. These are... Some kind of horrifying ants because they get their name from the fact that they eat or they feed on the blood of their babies. What? That, was, that, was, the, that was the twist that I was not expecting. No, not even Dracula would do such a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess ants don't have blood. They have hemolymph. So it's like, but it's a similar fluid sure. that transports nutrients around the body. And the adult ants apparently can't eat solid food. So they go out and catch prey and bring them back and feed them to the larvae. And then the larvae get all juiced up with delicious blood fluid. And then the adults Capri Sun them and they poke a hole and like sip nutritious liquid from them. What? Why? To eat. (laughs) This is how they feed the queen too, because they'll drink from the larvae and then regurgitate some of that for the queen. And that's just how they eat. I don't know. It apparently works. And so it's like... It's like, um, well, I don't know what it's like. <laughs> yeah. It's like if you suck a straw in your child. <laughs> yeah. Blood. It's called non-destructive parental cannibalism. Oh. So, huh? fuck, that's metal. <laughs> <laughs> and they do, they, they tend to drink from the larvae that are almost fully developed so that they're like extra plump. But the larvae are not like, they're not. Affected, they see they grow normally. They they can they go on to live their lives with. They all just have some scarring from all this puncturing. Yeah, that's going on. <laughs> wow. And if the colony is not doing well, then the ants will target larvae that have already been punctured, so that they're like sacrificing specific ones 
so that maybe the other ones will will have a better chance. Oh no! Wow, <laughs> Capri Suns. <laughs> Capri Suns with an O. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I did not think of that. But so okay, so there's the, there's a like a follow up thing here, which is that I mentioned that they catch prey and bring them back, and the way that they do that is also kind of weird because these ants have big arm like mandibles that they can snap really quickly and that's how they stun or kill their prey. And mm. in other ants that have big mandibles like this, usually they look more like weapons. They're like pointy and sharp looking, but the Dracula ant mandibles have adapted to be much flatter, more like like curved boards, and so they press them together to build tension. So if you imagine like you're preparing to snap your fingers, like when you press your fingertips together, that's the same kind of thing that they're doing, except in this case, your fingers are like a bow and arrow bow. So it's like a flat board that can hold tension as you're like putting pressure on it. And then they like let one slip past the other, like when you snap your fingers and it snaps their jaws. And we had no idea how fast these things were happening until these researchers took a 1 million frames per second camera and recorded them. And they found <laughs> that the mandibles reach 200 miles per hour. But apparently that's enough force to knock out these other arthropods that they're hunting. Although in the vi- there's a video of it and they're like poking at the ants with a, like a ruler or something. And when the ants try to bite the ruler, they, they end up flying off really violently. So it doesn't work <laughs> out well in that case. But... <laughs> But it turns out that this is faster than other like trap jaw ants that have like cla- uh, snapping jaws. And then also the the mantis shrimp punch, which is sort mm. of a n- notorious mm. example of fast appendages. So this is currently the fastest known animal appendage. Whoa. I mean, that's great. But like, I don't know why you thought you had to add to your fact. When they do drink well, their the, babies. They do drink their yeah, babies' yeah, blood. Yeah. I don't like, like you feel like it's like, I don't, there's no analog. Like you have, <laughs> like part of your life cycle is like your baby eats food for you. Yeah. It's like an external stomach sort of. But oh. you, but it's your baby. Oh. No. But then you are the external stomach for your queen. So it's it's a whole. Yes. There's a whole. There's but layers. It's a big chain. It's a it's a circle of life. Wait, does the queen drink the, out of them? The regular ants? No, they regurgitate. There's not as much. There's not another Capri Sun. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's good. So the, only <laughs> wow. the babies are juice boxes. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it's non-destructive. Sure, but so. what's the rest of that of that phrase? Non-destructive what? Uh, parental cannibalism. But then yeah. the larvae grow up to be, you know, they they become they're stronger for their experience. I suppose that's you know? true. Yeah. All right. Wow. Okay. So we've got Sari's fact that there's a tree that kills birds for no reason. Or Stefan's fact, where ants turn their babies into Capri Suns. They're both horrid. Sam, are you ready? I think so. Three, two, one, Stefan. Stefan. Whoa! Sorry, Sari. Your fact was so so I was. No! uh, There was. I I was 95%. There was no way Stefan was going to beat you. But then that that shit's just wild. He knew, too. He was so smug because he knew. I I thought he was faking it. (laughs) Me, too. (laughs) Wow. Oh, Lord. Well, now it is time to ask the science couch. We've got some listener questions for our crypt of finely honed scientific minds. This one is from Allison Shortow2. 
Possibly. Who asks, would all of the monster's parts have to be from donors of the same blood type for Frankenstein's creation to actually be alive? And she's written it yeah. so that I had to say it that <laughs> <Yeah. way. laughs> Boy. That's a good question. Does Frankenstein's monster have blood? It's yeah. Soft? I don't yeah, know. I, he does. He's gotta. Yeah. Does he, do, if I, but if you get an organ transplant, does it have to be from a, I don't think it has to be from a person with the same blood type. Not the same blood type, but it has to be compatible blood right, type. Right, okay. Oh. Right, right, right. Oh. Yeah. That is the case with blood transfusions too. So basically it's the same as a blood transfusion. That is my guess. Uh, like, yeah. barring the many, many difficulties of right. sewing together body parts for this and <laughs> assuming that Frankenstein's monster has blood and a circulatory system that works <laughs> then i think you would have to be compatible blood types so that's in with like with the abo antigens and then the <laughs> rh factor the positive negative thing does it matter what kind of bones yeah, frankenstein that's gets because that's where the blood comes from yeah if he had arms and legs from yeah. all different people what is what I- is Blood be weird. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's a number of problems <laughs> standing between Frankenstein's monster and reality. And having having you know bone marrow from half a dozen different like genetic lineages, I feel like it's probably gonna be up there. <laughs> like I th- I think the immune cells produced by like one though I guess there are people with bone marrow transplants and they do it. They 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 survive. Mm. So maybe that isn't a problem. And I like the idea that if you like, um, if you, if like Frankenstein's monster killed somebody in like modern day now and they do like a, they like swab around for DNA, like the crime scene investigators, oh. and they'd be like, there was like 12 people here. <laughs> the root of this question is really, does Frankenstein's monster have an immune system? Because mm. like skin mm. has immunological responses too. Like skin grafts are very difficult if you're trying to take skin from another person that's not yourself and putting it on. Then there's a lot of immune cells, I think a lot of T cells in there, and and a lot of challenges that can happen with acceptance of that. Mm. So, like at the seams of whatever, an arm and a shoulder from two different bodies, mm. will there be an immune mm-hmm. response at all? If like he just doesn't make immune cells, then everything's out the window, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that seems right to me. Okay. Yeah. Was was Frankenstein's monster healthy? Well, I know Frankenstein's monster was very strong, but I don't know if like there was kind of a clock ticking that mm-hmm. was like there are like right now this is working, but this is not going to work for long. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't remember it, how it ends. I feel like he was killed by something. It was like something happened in the Arctic and I don't think he just wanders off into the Arctic. Yeah, I don't think Frankenstein's yeah. monster died because his blood clotted or something. He did want to mate. So that must mean that he had reached mm. a certain threshold of health. Like all of his Mav Maslov hierarchy, what's that oh. called? You know, yeah. <laughs> his hierarchy was met. It was okay enough that he was horny. <laughs> exactly. He definitely didn't have like the flu because you don't want to yeah. do it when you have the so, flu. So everything was actually probably was, fine. With he was doing okay then. Did all the parts work? We don't need to get in. Well, yeah, he never got far enough to figure that part out. I don't think. Ooh. All right, everybody. I didn't expect us to go here. If you want to ask the Science Crypt your questions, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out topics from upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at SpaceHikes, at ManicMissMay, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions for this episode. Final Sandbox scores! (laughs) Three-way tie for last. 
And Stefan wins with three, which means Stefan is pulling into the lead with a fairly substantial gap there. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's real easy to do that. You can leave us a review wherever you listen. That lets people know that you like the show. It lets them know that it's a good use of their time. Second, you can tweet out your favorite moment from the episode and we will look at that and go, I also like that. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell Tell people people about us. Seriously, it's the only way that people find out about the show. It's the only way that we grow. It's the only way that we get to keep doing it. So thank you all so much for doing that. And thank you for joining I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stefan Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and the wonderful team at WNYC Studios. It's created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who also edits a lot of these episodes along with Haruka Matsushima. Our social media organizer is Paola Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tunamedish. And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a coffin to be filled but a jack-o'-lantern to be lighted. But one more thing. (laughs) Scientists at the University of Buffalo gathered 24 samples of alleged Himalayan Yeti skin, bone, teeth, fur, and poop (laughs) from monasteries, museums, and private collections around the world and studied the DNA. In a paper published in the Proceedings of the Royal Society B in 2017, they reported that, with the exception of a tooth that came from a dog, all of the samples came from bears, specifically Uh brown bears and an Asian black bear subspecies found in the Himalayas and Tibet. So they basically concluded (laughs) that, yeah, these are probably bears, unfortunately. Uh. (laughs) So monsters aren't real. Sorry. Halloween's Halloween's canceled. Halloween's over with the end of this episode. (laughs) I still think there's Bigfoot, though.